All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We're doing a Zoom meeting with everyone involved. I have Dr. Yun here. So what I have going on is I have everyone muted because basically Dr. Yun is going to be doing the speaking. And then um, he has five questions he picked out um, that were inputted to us that we're going to review and go over. And then, of course, if there's any additional questions, I'll give you the information on how to get that through to us. Um, so, Dr. Yun, the floor is yours. You mean, I, oh dear, I can talk? Well, I've never done that before. All right. Um, well, listen, we're, we're going to try to do these on a regular basis. Um, one thing is I used to do this a couple years ago, and I found out that, you know, people like to be able to ask the doctor questions and not have to pay for it, no insurance money or whatever. And it's also a way to educate uh, because I'll tell you, there is, it's very interesting. I was, uh, I was talking to a doctor the other day and the patient had a, um, a stroke in the right eye. And uh, I talked to the patient and he says, well, they just told me to check in a, a month or two. So I called the, the, uh, the neurologist. I said, hey, listen, um, what about trying this? There's some great information on it out there. It's, it's use of a drug, but it's off-label, what it's not normally used for. And I've used it several times. Had pretty, there's a 50-50 chance you can get this vision back. Um, no, nah, we wouldn't do that. I said, why? Because it's, it's not part of the AMA-approved guidelines. And it kind of really bugged me that there's a lot of stuff out there, but if it doesn't have the official FDA or AMA-approved guidelines, they won't offer it to people and people are suffering with pain or blindness or stroke or whatever. So just trying to educate because educated people, patients really are the ones that do the best with their health. So uh, Joey, you want to ask me the first question and then I hope I get an A today. You guys are going to grade me. All right. So the first question that we have that was submitted was can herbs or sprouts help stabilize sugar spikes? I already put cinnamon in my coffee or eat a tablespoon of Greek yogurt if I get hunger or caffeine shakes. I should clarify fresh herbs out of my garden, such as mint, basil, rosemary, and oregano. What are your thoughts? All right, can I have more than two minutes to answer this? <laughs> okay. The, the first thing I would say is this. Everyone thinks of diabetes and blood sugar. I had a lady come into my office several years ago. John, my, my, my diabetes is out of control. Well, how do I, why do you say that? Because her blood sugars were 85. I said, you know, that's very, very good. And she said, I can tell because my neuropathy is getting worse and worse and worse. This burning fire in my legs is killing me. I said, you're right. Your diabetes is out of control because diabetes is a systemic illness. We think because we've controlled the blood sugar that we've treated the problem. And that is absolutely false. So I'm going to, there's type 1 diabetes, which is the diabetes usually in younger people, 
uh, more of a viral or autoimmune condition. And I'm not going to talk about that aspect. I'm going to talk about type 2, which is 90% of the diabetics out there. And really, that's a problem of insulin resistance. The Center for Disease Control has said for years, doctors need to be, get, need to be getting a fasting insulin level, not a fasting glucose. Insulin is different than glucose. And you can tell 10 years before a patient ever has diabetes if they're going to get it. I want the level between 4 and 5. The scale says anywhere between 3 and 26. Listen, if a person has a fasting insulin level of 26, they're usually already a diabetic. Because the problem in type 2 diabetes is this, insulin resistance. <clears throat> the average person, they need a, just a few units of insulin to get glucose into the cell. At a person today, their insulin level is 23. He needs 23 units of insulin to get that sugar into the cell. You keep doing that long enough and the pancreas is going to wear out and run out of insulin, out of insulin and then blood sugars go through the roof and you're a diabetic. So I say that to say this. This lady had a blood sugar of 85 because she was doing some great um, Chinese herbs. Her, her, her daughter was a Chinese herb specialist and the herbs controlled the sugar perfectly but the diabetes was still continuing. And so, you know, I like the herbs. You can, you can do all those herbs, all of those things, add cinnamon to the coffee or whatever, and it does lower blood sugar, but it does not lower insulin levels. And that is the key. There's two ways to, to lower insulin that I know of. First of all, the textbooks of medicine say this. If you want to lower insulin levels, you need one gram of protein for every 2.2 pounds of body weight. And I never go over 100, pounds, 100 grams of protein a day. That's basic guidance, guidance textbook of medical physiology. One gram of protein for every 2.2 pounds of body weight. So if you weigh 150 pounds, you need about 70 grams of protein a day. And that is not considered a high-protein diet, even per the American Kidney Foundation. The other way to do it, and I've done this with my patients, I've done it with myself, is fasting. And you can reset those insulin levels within a couple weeks just by fasting. And when I say fasting, I basically say water. No juice, you know, no sugar in my tea or a little cream in my coffee or whatever, but fasting. And that is another way to set insulin receptors. Um, to show you how fast it can work, I have a patient that was on 110 units of insulin a day. Basically, within about two days, he was off all his insulin. So you can reset your insulin receptors very quickly. If you want to learn more about fasting and diabetes, you could go to YouTube and just punch in Jason Fong, F-O-N-G, Jason Fong, fasting or diabetes. 
He's a kidney specialist up in Toronto, Canada. He's done the most research on fasting and diabetes. And I've used his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting, $15 on Amazon. I do not own stock on Amazon. And it really, I tell you, I have more patients that I am just shocked have done fasting. And it really does make a difference in diabetes. But, you know, the herbs are great, but you want to deal with the root cause, which is insulin resistance. So um, hopefully I answered question number one. Okay, Joey. All right. The next one that was submitted to us was, what dietary steps can I take to improve my diabetic condition? Okay. So really, I'm going to just rehash. Take your body weight, divide by 2.2, and that's how many grams of protein you need. The other thing is, in diets, I, I, I'm saying this, like, all right, today, just a few minutes before this, a lady came in, and she has, so I, I want a dietary history. For, for breakfast, she basically has, I think, uh, steel oats, uh, oatmeal, organic oats, and some fruit, and a biscotti. All right, and for lunch, she will have a tomato sandwich. I think that was on uh, Ezekiel bread. And for dinner, she had pork and beans. So I said, all right, not much protein in oatmeal, biscottis, not a whole lot of protein in bread and tomatoes, and uh, the pork and beans, well, there was one little piece about this big of ham. Um, I said, you're lucky if you got five grams of protein. And so you wonder why your hair is falling out. Because you don't even take enough protein to even keep the body going. And, you know, that's why I say to my diabetics, what are you eating? If you weigh, if you need 70 grams of protein a day, you're going to have to get that over the three meals you're eating. So for me, I do the young protein shake. There's 30 grams. If you're not going to do that, some days do a two, two egg omelet. Each egg is eight grams of protein. So there's 16 grams. For lunch, if you like your salad, great. Stay away from tomatoes. Those are very high. That's a high sugary product. Um, I like the salads, but put on maybe a half a cup of cottage cheese or maybe six ounces of tuna, eight ounces of tuna, fish, chicken, beef, pork, giraffe, whatever, is eight ounces of protein, that's 30 grams of protein. Four ounces would be 15 grams of protein. One egg is eight grams of protein. That's kind of a rule of thumb. So if you had two eggs in the morning, there's 16 grams. For lunch, she told me she had um, eight ounces of tuna on that salad. Okay, there's 30 grams. And for dinner, she had four ounces of a chicken breast. So 15, 16, and 30. You know, she's getting 60 grams of protein a day. And that's pretty close. So, you know, for me, my wife made uh, spaghetti and meatballs the other night. Uh, she used a pound of hamburger, 
Unfortunately, there's six of us in the family, so I got two ounces of protein. Later on, I made a young shake because I need about 90 grams a day. So you need to keep the protein in if you're going to really reduce insulin resistance. If you're a vegetarian, um, look at the, you know, there's plenty of great books on how much proteins and broccoli and things like that. But if you're a vegetarian, you need to supplement with lysine and methionine because vegetarian diets are low in methionine and methionine and lysine because vegetables just don't have that much of it. So if you do that and with lysine, you need about five grams a day. And uh, with methionine, I think about two grams a day of that should help there. But, um, you know, you need the protein to reduce insulin resistance and that's kind of where I'd go. Next question, Joey. Uh, next question is more uh, medication related. Is it helpful to take metformin 500 milligrams once a day or twice a day? All right. Um, all right. And I saw something from Life Extension recently talking about if you're pre-diabetic, you want to take in, you know, metformin may be a really good drug to take. Um, I have problems with that because metformin has a lot of side effects. And so I'm really not excited about drugs long-term, but a lot of people are doing it to kind of help reduce insulin resistance. It really doesn't. It doesn't, it does reduce the blood sugar. Um, so it will reduce, you know, blood sugar numbers, but people are coming to me to get off their medicines. Uh, but if you're going to do metformin, um, I would usually, I'd probably do it twice a day, 500 milligrams morning and night. If you, if, you know, but I think talk that over with your doctor. But, you know, I just, listen, the longer, the more drugs you're on for diabetes, and this was a great study done by the government years ago, the quicker you die. So, you know, you throw more of these diabetic drugs at people, and it does, you, it does increase your death rate. In that one study that they did, where they used all the drugs to give diabetics perfect blood sugar numbers, it was a five-year study. They stopped it after three years because so many people dropped dead that ethically they had to do it. Because the drugs have, you have consequences. Next question. This next one kind of ties in with that. Um, the, the question that was inputted was, is it advantageous for an insulin dependent who is on a daily evening dose of 40 units, who has uncontrolled diabetes and fluctuating readings to be taking metformin in addition to the insulin, insulin resistance and tendency to gain weight around the middle? Okay, so, Let's see, how do I answer this question? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very specific as far as okay. that one. So what I would say is I have a number of diabetics who are on insulin and metformin, glipizide, things like that. Because the doctors, have, I felt they, they really maxed them out with their insulin. And so they're going to use more and more drugs to help control the blood sugar. 
So here's how I treat with these patients. I always check the blood sugar before the evening meal. I don't like the blood sugars in the morning. One of the large pharmaceutical companies one day said, John, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't prescribe one of their drugs. And the rep said, what if I got our chief pharmacist to come in and spend the day with you and to see how you treat diabetics? I said, sure, bring him in. So he comes in and um, he sat with me and I said to the lady, he was having terrible blood sugar swings. First of all, I don't care about the blood sugar in the morning. When you fast at night, the body's saying, hey, uh, Mary, it's been about six hours since you've eaten. Uh, the brain here needs a little bit of glucose. And since you're not eating, we're going to go to the liver and take stored glucose, which is glycogen, and turn it into sugar to get energy. So I'm not interested in how much glycogen you have, you made it overnight. So that morning blood sugar is a mixture of glycogen and insulin and, and glucose. So I like the blood sugar right before the evening meal where it's just pure glucose, blood sugar, no glycogen. So if you eat lunch at one o'clock, check it, wait about four hours, four and a half to five hours and check that blood sugar. And what I found was in this patient, when she gave me those numbers, they weren't too bad. Her morning numbers were 270, 300. Her afternoon numbers were more about 180. So I worked off those as my main numbers and was able to get her out of these blood sugar swings and start to reduce some of her medicine. Then I got her, her protein level up and to make a long story short, within about three months, I got her off all her insulin and she was just on some metformin. And I talked to the pharmacist, who's the big wig for the, uh, this company. And I said, so what did you think? And you know, he said to me, he said, John, really, that's what we should be telling our diabetics. Don't go on that morning blood sugar. There's too many variations. It should be more than one right before the evening meal. And uh, he actually said he'd like to spend another day with me and he needs to go back over and study his physiology textbooks. So, you know, the idea is I think is going not on a morning insulin uh, blood sugar number, but going on the evening and then, you know, increasing the protein and then trying to get them off. First thing is off insulin because insulin says store fat centrally. You know, the doctors are always telling the patient lose weight, but they're on insulin. And insulin says hold on to, to weight centrally no matter what. So that's kind of my insulin weight gain answer. Okay. Um, the next question, which was actually the final question, the fifth one, was can taking apple cider vinegar help with insulin resistance? And are there other ways to address insulin resistance? Okay. Um, let me make a note because I want to, I'll say this. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, so apple cider vinegar, if that would, you know, help. 
and any other ways to address the insulin resistance. All right, before I go there, let me just say this. I, I have no trouble with using herbs and all that, anything they want to, to lower blood sugar. I have no problems with that. Um, I will tell you, and I've told this to most of my patients because I learned from another patient, is black seed oil, I think, works wonders for helping to control blood sugar. One or two, one in the morning, one at night, seems to work really well for diabetics for helping to control blood sugar. Uh, bitter lemon is another one. Bitter melon is another one. Uh, but there's a lot of herbs out there. And I, I tell my patients, try them. You have nothing to lose. Now, apple cider vinegar in the studies does seem to lower glucose and does seem to lower insulin. But when I looked at the studies, they couldn't give me a number. You know, insulin level was 15 and doing apple cider vinegar for six weeks, it dropped to eight or whatever. But uh, the study did say it did lower insulin. It didn't say how much, um, but I have no trouble with patients doing apple cider vinegar. Um, but in the study, it did not really give real specifics about the drop, the glucose number changes, the insulin number changes. So uh, you can kind of Google that. I think um, there's one, it was here. It was, um, Vinner, uh, this was in um, diabetes and resident clinical practice. Vinegar consumption can attenuate postprandial glucose and insulin responses. Just, just kick, uh, Google uh, the effect of vinegar, uh, vinegar on um, insulin and glucose. But that study, it didn't give me any exact numbers. So I can't really say that. Um, but it really does come down. Diabetes type 2 is an insulin problem. And, you know, years ago, I kept wondering, I would have these patients with great diabetic numbers, but their neuropathy would get worse and worse. And I think you need to think of diabetes as a systemic problem. And just because you've patched one part of the roof doesn't mean you took care of the leaky roof. So, you know, that's, I like all the other stuff. I like the herbs, but diabetes is an out of control disease here in the US. And probably 40% of the population is diabetic or near diabetic. And, you know, do all the little side tricks and all that, but take your weight, divide by 2.2. That's about how much protein you need. And, you know, have your doctor follow your insulin levels. I try to get it down to for guys to at an insulin level four, girls at an insulin level five. And, um, you know, I think that's why years ago, one of the largest insurance companies in the U.S. came to me and said, John, you are the most successful doctor we have in our network when it comes to getting diabetics off their medicines. If you're a type one diabetic, just increasing insulin, just increasing a protein 
they can usually reduce the amount of insulin they take. So protein really helps with insulin resistance, both type one and type two. So I um, hope I've answered all the questions well. Um, Joey, can I talk a little bit about, you know, or do you want to talk? Well, no, I mean, we have time to work with. I mean, those are the five questions that were submitted to us. So if there's anything you want to touch on um, or discuss, you know, now would be a great time. All right. So basically this would like for you guys to send in questions, you know, call Marie or whatever. And um, we wanted to just see about how long some of these things take and kind of get a better idea of way to format. Maybe we, you know, do some question and answer on Zoom or off Zoom. But send in some topics, send in some a bunch of questions, and uh, you know when are we doing our, our next Zoom? Uh, we still have to plan it um, right now. As far as questions or ideas, we're having everyone submit them to our website. Um, there's usually a contact email directly on our site. You know, so just go on there. You know, any ideas or suggestions as well, like we'll definitely accept. Um, but I mean, we are able to get pretty much the majority of people that you know submitted that they were going to come. Um, and because of, you know, nature's food patch and certain things because of the coronavirus, we're not able to be out in the public as much as we used to be. You know, this would probably be ideal for at least the time being until we're able to. All right. Um, well, I hope this wasn't a waste of your all's time. Uh, thank you for listening to me. And um, I'll try next time not to wear the same blue shirt. Remind me, Joey. Okay, right. that would be appreciated. All right, I'm going to go home and um, take my daughter to the pool. All right, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And, again, you can get us through our website um, with any suggestions, questions, and we'll keep you all in the loop as far as when the next meeting will be, okay? Bye. All right.